Debbie mentioned at the start of the service, we have um, chosen to adjust our planned preaching topic this week just to spend some time reflecting and responding on the terrible events that have unfolded in our city this week. As I'm sure, um, no doubt you'll be aware, on Tuesday morning, three people were killed in this unprovoked attack. Um, A history student, Barnaby Webber, a trainee doctor, Grace O'Malley Kumar, um, and a local caretaker, Ian Coates, who had um, apparently served in many schools, was close to ret- really close to retirement and was currently at Huntingdon Academy in St Anne's. Um, and alongside that, there was also another person sustained some serious injuries after three people were hit with a, with a stolen van. And we gather that all of the attacks were carried out by one person who's in custody. And at this stage, we don't really know that much about his motive or his circumstances. Terrible. Um, and at the start of this week, on, on Monday, we had a staff meeting, um, and we gathered our staff together, and we just spent time sharing stories, and we were actually celebrating all the amazing things that God has been doing in the midst of our church recently. You know, people coming to faith, people getting healed, growing as disciples of Jesus, all this stuff. And so on Tuesday morning, the day of the attacks, my day started. I came here at 7 a.m. for our men's prayer meeting, and I was just sharing and celebrating some of that stuff there, not knowing that this news was about to break, and not knowing that by 7 p.m. that day, I would be returning home from a prayer vigil that was held at St. Peter's Church in town, having witnessed, um, you know, tearful students laying flowers and lighting candles in response to these sickening murders. In this room and in this um, city, there'll be a whole range of responses at the moment to these week's events. There'll be students who have walked perhaps many times down the streets where the attacks took place, who now feel shaken but also violated by that. There'll be people who've had previous experience of violence or trauma, and this will have awakened that. This week, I've spoken to parents whose children are frightened about going out or going to school. Parents who have children of student age who are perhaps studying elsewhere and now feel fragile about that. And there'll be many others of us who perhaps, whilst we may not have an immediate connection or obvious um, connection to these events, the fact that they have occurred in our city has left us feeling shaken. And so today we want to share some thoughts about how we as Christians can respond um, in moments like these. And the first encouragement that I want to share from Scripture is this. Do not be alarmed. Although these events are alarming, um, in Matthew's Gospel, for example, Jesus warned us as his followers that between the time where he came and the time where he will one day return, so the time that we live in now, He told us that we're to expect to see a whole range of terrible things unfolding in this world. Um, I'll read from Matthew 24. Jesus said, you'll hear wars wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you, let's talk to the disciples or the Christians, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. 
And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus warned us that things will get rough in this world before he returns to set everything straight. There'll be wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, famines, the persecution of the church, and what he described as the increase of wickedness. And we have seen acts of wickedness this week. But in all of this, he says, do not be alarmed, stand firm. And what that means is that as we go about our lives in this moment, alongside colleagues and neighbors, fellow citizens of this city who might be alarmed, we can be distinctive. We can be distinctive as we stand firm. At City Prayer, um, a prayer gathering for churches around the city, David Mellon, the leader of the council, um, who's a believer, he said this this week, we can speak Jesus over the streets of our city because he is the suffering servant. He knows what it is like to be a victim of violence. So I would ask you to pray, particularly when people are asking why. When people, children, are saying, is the city safe? And he continued, he said, because fear can grip, but we must not let fear be the dominant force in our city. Because we know, don't we, that perfect love casts out fear. And so this horrible time is an opportunity to show our friends and our city that we believe in a God who is bigger, that there is hope because he has a plan, like it says on the screen, and he said to us, in this world, yes, you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The second thing that we can do, um, and this really is sort of like a mindset thing, is to remember who is ultimately behind evil. When tragedy arrives at our doorstep, it's inevitable, isn't it, that we want to understand why has this happened? Who did this? What were their motives? And probably many of us did that, you know, go straight to the internet to try and figure out who did this? What, were the, what was their agenda? What was their motives? And invariably, as in this situation, it's complicated and essentially it's unfathomable. And whilst we don't want to diminish the personal responsibility of the attacker in this situation, the Bible also explains how corrupted humans work under the influence of another, the source of all the hatred and all the violence in the world, the evil one, the names Satan and devil, which mean accuser and deceiver. They point to a real and personal enemy of God and his kingdom, and he is bent on causing evil and death on earth. And this is something that we as Christians believe the Bible explains this to us, but not everybody, of course, does. And I appreciate, perhaps if you're new here, if you're exploring faith, this might come as a bit of a surprise, like it's a bit scary, almost like what you believe that the devil is a real person. But when you think about it, how else can we explain the evil that we see around the globe, day in, day out? We live in a time when Satan, um, in the Bible, is described as having a kingdom of darkness, meaning he has some level of influence, autonomy, and um, rulership in this world. Jesus, in fact, referred to Satan three times as the ruler of this world. And in 1 Peter, um, explains that he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so, in a sense, all acts of violence are expression of his kingdom of darkness. And in the Gospels... Stories of Jesus' life, we read that when Jesus arrived, he came and he announced that it was time for this darkness to be overcome. And he came saying, the kingdom of God is here. And uh, he said, the kingdom of God is near, and the kingdom of God is within you. 
And we saw his kingdom arrive and break in in Jesus' ministry. He started healing people. He resisted the temptation of the devil. There was miracles. There was good news preached to the poor. Um, And he triumphed over Satan through his death and then resurrection. So God's kingdom broke in in the person of Jesus to push back this kingdom of darkness. But Jesus also explained at the same time that his kingdom was yet to fully come. He told parables that explained that it would come sometime in the future and that we're to wait and be ready for that. And do you remember in the Lord's Prayer, he instructed us to pray these words every day. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so there's this sense and a reality, in fact, that the kingdom of God is both here and not here at the same time. It's a bit of a paradox, but it is now and it is also, in a sense, not yet. And that, in practice, means that the battle between good and evil wages on. Sometimes people get healed, don't they? And sometimes they don't. Sometimes acts of violence are prevented and sometimes they occur. We get to experience um, expressions of God's kingdom and yet the kingdom of darkness is still very much active. We get to celebrate all that God's doing in our church on a Monday morning staff meeting and then lament an act of horror on a Tuesday. But in all of this, we can take reassurance that When Jesus returns, he has promised that his kingdom will come in fullness. It will resolve this tension. Injustices will be righted. The Bible proclaims there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more pain. Until that day, though, evil is real. That doesn't change the reality of that tension for us right now. But what it does do is it it frames the way we see the world and it frames the way we look at moments like this. It means that when terrible things happen, we aren't alarmed. We don't need to be shaken. And we aren't paralyzed by that question of like, why? We can instead step towards those who are grieving. And the next thing that I want to say is we can mourn with those who mourn. The Bible encourages us to do this. I don't know if anybody watched... um, the vigil that took place on the student campus on the Wednesday, and particularly the moment where the families came together. And it really struck me, these people, they're effectively strangers. They were clinging on to each other, held together by their shared experience, that solidarity, that empathy that they shared. There is power when we connect with somebody who feels as we do. And you might have seen this as well, when, the, when um, Ian Coates' sons got together and were sharing powerful words. The Bible explains that it's natural and it's right to um, react to tragedy by mourning with those who mourn. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And Jesus really, in his ministry, he, he embodied this. Um, as you may know, this year we have um, feel, um, a particular emphasis and focus on a passage in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, where Jesus first arrived and he, um, he announced what his kingdom was all about. And he quotes a passage from the Old Testament from Isaiah, chapter 61, which really speaks of um, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing. It talks about salvation, sight for the blind, food for the poor, wonderful kingdom expressions. But that passage in Isaiah that he read, it also it speaks of compassion for those who are in pain. And I read it this week afresh, and it really struck me. I'm just going to read it, and I encourage you, just listen out for the compassion in these words. There's so much in there. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he is a, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives 
and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of one of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And it really struck me that Jesus chose these words to inaugurate his ministry. I think that reveals something about him. It shows us something about our God, that we worship a God who's not remote, who's not distanced from the suffering of the world, but actually chose to step right into the middle of it. He chose to be present with those who were mourning and comfort them, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, a God who even embraced and took our pain upon himself on the cross, pushed beyond looking sympathetically at pain and took a step towards it. Amazing. And he encourages us and he calls us as his disciples to do the same to the world. We are called to do as he did. Um, Because when we connect with people who are mourning, it stirs our hearts. I remember um, just this Tuesday, there was a vigil in the afternoon that I attended in in town. Um, And it was, you know, relatively soon after the events, it was all a bit of a sort of a, um, a, it happened in a rush in a way. And it was just so powerful to see these students come along to that. And they literally, you could tell, they'd come in like whatever clothes they were wearing. They were in shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops. And they'd got these bunches of flowers that they'd obviously just picked up on, you know, on the way from the supermarket that still got the price sticker on them. And just watching them come down and lay these flowers and see that, like those, the first years especially, they're just kids. They're literally just kids, and these things happened. They're hundreds of miles away from their parents. They've got nobody, you know, who they would have usually looked to. And they're just clinging on to each other. And just seeing that aroused heartache in me. And in fact, I'm just going to ask Amy, who is our student pastor, to share some of... Um, she's been, you, Amy's been along to various sort of prayer vigils and gatherings and things this week. And it'd be helpful just to hear some of your insights, Amy. So, yeah, how's the week been? Yeah, yeah, like you say, John, being along to um, some of the stuff that's that's been happening this week, and um, yeah, it is it is evident that the events of Tuesday have really shaken students in our city. That they are unnerved, they are heartbroken, and um, to lose two of their own, some who are very closely connected to the two um, who lost their lives, and and some who are just really, yeah, just unsure of of what to do or say or what's going on. And um, I went along to uh, the vigil on campus on Wednesday and just walking up the Portland steps um, and just seeing thousands and thousands of students just lining the grass around the Horwood Library on campus just shows that it is something that um, has really impacted them. And we know it has impacted students who are part of our church. And so um, we've just been trying to figure out how do, we, how do we respond to that? How do we respond with this compassion that, that John was speaking about? And so we've had opportunity to invite students in just to pray, to pray together, um, and just to ask God's kingdom to come um, among the students in our city. Because we know that um, though we have a wonderful student community at, at Trent Vineyard, God's heart breaks for the, all of the students in the city. He, he longs for all of them to know his hope and his light and his peace in their lives. And so, yeah, just having the opportunity to pray for them this week has been, um, yeah, just, just really precious. When there's nothing practical that we can really do of much worth, being able to pray has been a real privilege. 
And I gather um, some of the, uh, not just the student team, but other members of the church actually went out on Thursday night just to walk through the streets where the attacks had happened and pray. Is that, yeah. yeah. What's that like? Yeah, and, and that was just, um, yeah, like I say, just to be able to do something to respond, to invite God's light into the situation. So there were a group of us um, from students, young adults, parents, grandparents, um, a bunch of us just went out and we, and we walked and we prayed um, and we had little um, cards that we were able just to put through people's doors, just letting them know that we are thinking of them and that we're praying for them so that they know that they are being covered in prayer by, by the church in the city. And as we walked, we had some little sweets and we put some cards on, on sweets so that as we interacted with people, we could kind of give them something and just ask, like, are you okay? Can we pray for you? We'd love to do that. And we had an opportunity to pray for some people, which was really precious and profound. Um, but something that was really, really wonderful was that as we kind of went out, uh, some of the students who were part of our, our group, a friend of theirs who lives on Ilkeston Road, he, he spotted us. And he was like, what are you guys doing? And so we let him know what was happening. Um, and he decided to join us. He came with us as we walked around and we prayed uh, for people um, around that kind of area. And it was just lovely for him to feel loved himself, but also to be able to join us in, mm. in doing something to bless his community that he actually lives in. So, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Lovely. Oh, thanks, Amy. Thanks so much. And so this week has presented us with an opportunity to mourn with those who mourn because they are living in our city and these events have happened in our city. But it also serves as a reminder that this invitation um, to mourn with those who mourn is sadly an ever-present opportunity um, in our world because, you know, the truth is if you go on, you know, for example, the BBC website any day of the year and you just click on that thing for, like, the world news... There are there almost daily uh, tragedies happening somewhere in the world. You know, like the war in Syria, for example, where more than half a million people have been killed since 2011. Apparently, in North Korea, um, since they tightened the borders during the COVID pandemic, medicine and food supplies have been restricted coming into the country. And there are some reports that 40% of the population is currently malnourished. There are families starving to death. Just this week, off the coast of Greece, a boat capsized on Wednesday morning, carrying between 500 and 750 refugees, and at the time of the report, only 100 had been rescued. A cyclone hit India and Pakistan last Thursday. Um, 170,000 people were displaced from their homes. And even here in this room, there'll be people who are mourning today because of the loss of loved ones. And these are things that as Christians, part of our discipleship, part of being hope and light to the world is that we should know and be aware of these things and we should care about them and we should mourn with those who mourn. It's good and right for God's people to feel compassion and comfort those who are mourning. And what that empathy does is it also it can, it spurs us towards another way that we can respond in times like this, and that is that we can pray. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful 
in prayer. And that word that's um, been translated as faithful um, in, that, in, that, in that passage, it kind of connotes the sense of being persistent, constant, keep going with our prayers. And that's helpful advice because times like these can leave us feeling a bit powerless, a bit helpless, like what practically can we do? And you know, this, this hidden enemy came from nowhere. We don't understand it. What on earth could we do? Well, we can always pray and God always hears we can pray for the families and the friends who've, who've lost loved ones. We can pray for those who've been injured in that by the van and that they would be recovered quickly. We can pray for all those who are feeling traumatized in any way. We can pray, pray for that school, that school community that have lost their caretaker. What must that be like? We can pray for the heartbroken student community. We can pray for those in positions of responsibility who have to make decisions and discern how to lead people and teams through situations like this. One person who particularly comes to my mind is David Mellon, who's the leader of the city council, who I um, mentioned earlier. It just struck me this week, it's fallen to him during his tenure to lead this city council through the COVID pandemic, through financial turmoil, and now an event like this. And we can be grateful that he is a believer, that he can look to the Lord for his strength. Um, But we really should lift him up in prayers. And we can pray for the emergency workers, those that witnessed the terrible events themselves, um, and those that are managing the aftermath. Police, ambulance, community protection officers, fire service. And it really struck me again during this week that whilst these events have been you know, exceptionally troubling, they also serve as a reminder that the emergency services, they deal with and they handle traumatizing events every day, serving our city. And they also need our regular prayer. And finally, though it goes against every natural tendency within us, The Bible instructs us to pray for those who are responsible. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus is reported to have said, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. My um, my wife, Abby, she's a primary school teacher, and um, I remember... After the Manchester bombing attack, quite a few of the children in her class were just, you know, disturbed by that. And so um, at the end of the day, one day, when they had this thing called circle time, they sat round and she talked with them about it. And she asked them, you know, if any of them had any ideas about what, what things we might do that might be helpful when we're feeling worried. And, w- and one little girl said, well, we could, we could pray. We could pray for the families of those who were killed. And so they all thought that was a good idea. And then another little girl put her hand up and she said, Jesus said that we should pray for our enemies, for people that hurt us. And so perhaps we should pray for the people that did this. And the whole class agreed that that was a good idea. And that really leads me into the final thing. The final way that we can respond is that we should resist the urge to respond to hate with hate. At the um, vigil at this university campus, Barnaby Weathers' mother spoke, and she ended what she said by saying, please hold no hate that relates to any color, sex, or religion. Powerful words and pertinent words, because, of course, 
In the past, when we as a nation have witnessed things like terrorist attacks, like the July bombings um, or the Manchester attack, there has been this you know, immediate, natural response of horror and outrage. But then, sadly, that can quickly fester into unhealthy expressions of prejudice and judgmentalism. It's kind of, you can kind of see how it happens. It's understandable, but it's undesirable. It's not right. And sadly, here we, we, we've seen some of that. Um, at the time that I was writing this, um, what we knew about the, um, the perpetrator of the attacks was that um, he was of West African descent. He'd been living in the UK for several years. He had the right to remain, but wasn't a British, isn't a British citizen. And it's also understood that he has a history of mental health issues. So limited amount of information evidence that we as a country should be less welcoming to refugees or asylum seekers or migrant workers and that is just simply not how we as believers are called to act or speak in fact the bible urges us to do the opposite of jumping into those kind of conclusions or statements in romans 12 it, we're urged not to judge and instead do something that's really quite radical it says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse and it continues further down. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. And I think this is one of the most challenging verses in the whole Bible. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This is it's really hard stuff, isn't it? Hard, hard words. We're told to even temper that part of our heart that longs and thirsts for justice. And we all know how hard that is, even with small things. We've all been wronged in our lives in some way and had that experience of, you know, that urge of like, I've been wronged, I need to make this right and get my revenge. But of course, we're all painfully aware of the mess and the bitter conflict that's present all over the globe as a result of this cycle of harm begetting harm. It just gets us nowhere. And so this passage in Romans, it's hard. It's hard teaching, but it offers us a radical way and perhaps the only way of breaking that cycle. It reminds us that justice is ultimately God's job, not ours. And it suggests that rather than repay evil with evil, to bless our enemies. And so in this situation, it might involve praying for the, for the person who did this, that, that if the, you know, for any mental health issues that he may or may not have, that he would receive healing. Praying that his eyes would be open and that he would relent and repent. Now this goes against our instincts, but we can do that knowing that God will not ultimately neglect justice. He will bring justice to bear. And he is the only one qualified enough, and he's the only one powerful enough to ultimately do that. And also he promises that one day he will do just that. All the wrongs in the world will be put right. And in the meantime, he instructs us to resist that urge to respond to hatred with hate. I remember really vividly, in 2015, there was a story in the news about a Christian um, security guard who'd been killed by an IS um, suicide bomber. And on this news station, um, they interviewed his wife. And she spoke directly to the bomber. And she said these words, I'm not angry with you, my son. May God forgive you. You are not in your right mind. 
And she said, may God forgive you and I forgive you. And the journalist who um, interviewed her, he responded and reflected, and I, I remember scribbling down what he said. He said, how great is this amount of forgiveness you have? If your enemy knew how much forgiveness you have for him, he would not believe it. These people, he said, talking about Christians, this is their faith. These people are made of a different substance. And the truth is that those of us who are Christians, we are made of a different substance. And when Jesus was in a conversation um, with Nicodemus, he explained that when we turn to him and we are born again, we are born not of flesh, but of the spirit. And that rebirth is only made possible by us asking for and receiving God's forgiveness. It's only then that we become this new creation filled with God's spirit and he grants us the gift of grace so that we're capable in his strength of freely giving what we have first received from him. It's only in his power that we're able to do this. And we worship this God who forgave the sins of the world, who died so that we might be forgiven as we turn in repentance to him. He did that because that's how much he loves every one of his children. You, me, but also people who do terrible things. God loves them the same way that he loves us because they're his children. And he grants us the grace to share that forgiveness with the world and break this cycle of harm begetting harm. So as we respond to moments like these, Let's stand firm together. In Jesus' promise that one day he will put everything right, that justice will be done. Let's remember who the enemy, the ultimate enemy, truly is. Let's mourn with those who mourn. And in doing so, we can bring hope and light to those who are shaken. Let's pray. Pray for the afflicted, the affected, and even those who cause the pain and in doing so, we can pave the way for God to grant us the grace to convey the same forgiveness to the world that we each receive first from him. So in terms of how we can respond right now in this moment, we felt like um, a, a thing that might be helpful to do would be to sing once again. And we're going to sing that one of the songs we sang earlier, I Speak Jesus. We were at the um, city prayer gathering this, this week, and we sang this Song And the words of it, it just really struck me as that these words are a prayer for this moment. And so um, if you're able to, can I encourage you to stand? And I would just encourage you to, yeah, allow these words to guide your heart into prayer in this moment. And we pray, Jesus, um, we call out to you for all those who are wounded at the moment. We speak to the trauma, to the anxiety that many are feeling, and we we, we, we tell it to go in Jesus' name, and we also thank you, Jesus, that you told us that, yes, in this world we will have trouble, but we're to take heart because you have overcome the world through your death, through your resurrection. You are the conqueror, and you've promised that one day there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And we long for that day. We pray, Jesus, would you come? But in the meantime, we pray your kingdom come now and we speak Jesus to our city.
Jesus is 